So Luke chapter 1, starting reading at verse 39, this is God's word. Now Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfilment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and his holy name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed, forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered and she brought forth a son. When her neighbours and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. So they marveled. Immediately, His mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers 
and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit, and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Amen. We thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. And we're going to pray now and ask for his help to understand it. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us so that we may know everything we need to know about you and every duty you require of us. We thank you for this story of what's going on in this family between Nazareth and the hill country around Judea. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us today, just as Elizabeth and Zacharias were filled with the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would give us the insight which comes only through your Holy Spirit to understand your word, to believe it, and to put it into practice. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I've uh, given this sermon uh, the title, A Miraculous Birth. And that's because Christmas is one of those times in the year when we in the Christian church very, very specifically and clearly profess that we believe in miracles. We looked last week at the opening of Luke's gospel and we saw that this is the word of God given to us so that we might be certain of the things that we've been taught. And what Luke is telling us here in the second half of chapter 1 is that miracles really do happen. Miracles really do happen. We have a story about a baby being born to a virgin. That is a miracle. Virgins do not give birth. That does not happen. I've told you before, I think, one of my favourite C.S. Lewis stories. I'll tell it again. There was a time whenever Lewis was in his study in Oxford in the university in the month of December and one of his colleagues was in the room with him. The window was open. And so from the quad below they could hear the sound of carolers drifting up through the open window. And Lewis's friend said to him, isn't it good that we know now better than they did then? Lewis looked at him, replied, I I don't know what you mean. And the man said, well, we know now that virgins don't have babies. 
Lewis replied, Don't you think they knew that back then? My friend, that is the whole point. Christmas is a time of year when we profess that miracles really do happen. In the history of our world, miracles have taken place. We believe that there are times whenever the usual laws of of physics and biology and chemistry, those laws which govern how our world works, there are times when those laws are suspended, when when they're set aside, and when God in his great power and might intervenes, does something unusual. We call those times miracles. And the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is one of those times. This is a miracle. The second person of the Trinity, pre-existent from all eternity, come as flesh, as a baby, born to save his people from their sins, born to a virgin. This is a miracle. It's a miracle. And it's actually central to what links our passage last week with the rest of the book of Luke. Remember what Luke is doing. He's, he's writing an orderly account for his friend Theophilus. And no doubt Luke knew. Remember Luke was a doctor, but everybody knew this. He knew the claim of the, the virgin birth would be one that was hard to swallow. And he knows that what follows it, the the story of the life of Jesus is going to be filled with miracles. Things that his readers will find hard to believe. And so what does he do? Well, he sets the scene in the first half of chapter 1. And then the, the point on which the rest of the gospel actually sits is what he says in verse 37. It was the end of our passage last week. Let me remind you. Verse 37 says, with God, nothing will be impossible. With God, nothing will be impossible. Luke is saying, I know how hard this is to believe. But there is a God who interacts with his world. And with him, nothing is impossible. Miracles really do happen. And so I simply want to give us an encouragement today that Whatever else Christmas means to us, the presents, the food, the lights, the decorations, all of that, please do not allow your Christmas to be a worldly Christmas. There are many in our world who who want to explain Christmas in ways that the Bible does not give us. It's just about being nice to each other. It's about being friendly. It's about being kind to the children. All of those are good things. But that's not the Christmas of the Bible. The Christmas of the Bible is the God of the universe becoming flesh for the salvation of his people. And so whatever else Christmas is for you, and it it might be lots of things. Maybe not all of the positive things, some of the difficult things as well. I hope that you at least recognise that this is a time when the Bible makes clear that miracles really do happen. Because with God, nothing will be impossible.
I want us to, to think about this in two ways today. We're going to think, first of all, about the miracle of Jesus' birth in the incarnation, the, the fact of the incarnation, God come in the flesh. And then the second way we're going to think about it is that we are going to think about this being a miracle in terms of salvation. What this birth means for people like you and me. A, a miracle is essentially it's God doing something in this world that we can't do. God doing something that we can't do. Something for us that we can't do for ourselves. And salvation is one of those very central things that God does for us that we can't do for ourselves. So we have the miracle of the incarnation and we have the miracle of salvation. We're going to start with the miracle of incarnation. Now, I know I've used, again, I've used this explanation before, but I find it really, really helpful. The word incarnation means Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. And it literally, and this helps me at least, it literally means God in meat. So think about chili con carne. Chili con carne is chili with meat. That's what the carne means. So likewise, God incarnate is God in meat. God in the flesh. Jesus is God. And that's made clear to us in this passage. And that's, that's what, part of what the miracle that we have to dwell on at Christmas time is. That the God of the universe came into the world. Do you notice some of the language that's used to describe the baby in Mary's womb? Verse 43, I think is really significant. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit and, and the divine insight says, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That should strike us. That, that's an amazing thing for her to say. How do we usually talk a, about a baby? We usually say the little one, the baby, the bump. She doesn't say that. She says, my Lord. The baby in Mary's womb is Elizabeth's Lord. It's not only Elizabeth's words that uh, the child that Mary carries, show us that the child that Mary carries is remarkable. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist leapt in her womb at the very presence of the Lord Jesus. The very presence of the Lord Jesus being in the house with them. Uh, by the way, this is not for us to go into today, I don't think, but... This is one of the places in the Bible that we would go to to both oppose abortion and also to confirm that, that people can actually be regenerate, can be born again, even before they're born the first time. John, as an unborn baby, is clearly recognising who Jesus is. As we work through this passage, we come to the Song of Mary. And it's almost as if she can't help but burst out in praise. This is often called the Magnificat. Mary's song is praise to God because of, of what's happening to her and in her as a fulfilment of the Old Testament scriptures. 
As we read this, we, we see Mary's life has been filled with the Bible. She's maybe listened to it most of her life. I don't know if Mary was able to read. But like a, like a sponge that has, has been soaked with water, whenever Mary is squeezed, you can see what comes out. The Old Testament fills her praise. Every word to the last drip. In the incarnation, which is a miracle, God is doing something new for his people. But he's not doing something unexpected. Throughout the Old Testament, God has, has set the example of women who become pregnant against all the odds. We might think of women like Sarah or Hannah. And so as Mary thinks about these things, their stories come flooding to her mind. And she proclaims and professes praise to God in very, very Old Testament terms. I think this is an example to us. We should be so soaked in God's word that when we're squeezed, we can't help but pour out biblical praise to God in the words that he himself has given us. One commentator I read this week, Dale Ralph Davies, he says this, Mary teaches us that marination in the biblical text is the best preparation in prayer. Marination in the biblical text is the best preparation in prayer. Her song of victory at the incarnation is very reminiscent of Hannah's song in the temple. Remember whenever Hannah, who had an unexpected son, Samuel, she took him to the temple to leave him in God's service? In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Hannah prays this. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. It's clear that Mary knew that, that prayer, that prayer of praise to God. And so let's put this together. We, we see what Elizabeth has said, what Mary has said, and what Hannah has said. So how cool is this? The Lord that they are praising as the one in Mary's womb is the very same Lord that Hannah praised a thousand years previously. The baby in Mary's womb pre-existed Mary herself. He is the one who oversaw Samuel's miraculous birth. And yet, he has become a tiny little baby in Mary's tummy. The God whom heaven and earth cannot contain or sustain made Mary's womb his home for nine months. It just blows my mind. The God who, who hollowed out the seas, who, who built the mountains, who set the stars in the sky. The God who brings up the sun each morning and causes it to set each evening. 
the Lord Almighty, who is infinite, eternal and unchangeable, has taken to himself the flesh of humanity and humbled himself to the point where he is dependent on Mary for his every need, for his food, for his shelter, even to have his bum wiped. What love is shown to us in the incarnation that Jesus would would lower himself so low for our sake. He became like us so that we could become like him. It's a miracle. The miracle of the incarnation. The most necessary miracle. That we should not only profess and proclaim and believe in and stake our hope upon, but we should praise God for it with every ounce of our being. Because he did this so that we could be saved. Of course, that brings us to our second point, the miracle of salvation. As we read through Mary's song and through the prophecy of Zacharias that follows, we can see very clearly that God saves his people because they cannot save themselves. That's what God does for us. He saves people who cannot save themselves. This is a really big theme. And as we work through Luke's gospel in the coming year, we're going to see that. You might be familiar with some of the stories in Luke's gospel. There's Luke chapter 15, which has parables of the lost things. Three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son. And then in Luke chapter 19, Jesus himself says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is a really big idea for Luke. Jesus is the one who came to seek and save people who cannot save themselves. To find people who are lost and who do not know the way home. Jesus came for those people. Luke 5, Jesus says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He came to save people who cannot save themselves. Salvation from Jesus is a miracle. Because in salvation, God is doing something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And this is for people who are lowly, who are humble enough to say, yeah, I'm, I'm lost. I'm sick. I'm weak. I'm helpless. I cannot save myself. This is how Mary puts it, verse 50 and following of our passage. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. You see what the, the Bible is teaching us? It's not that God helps those who help themselves. That's not salvation according to the Bible. The Bible says salvation is a miracle. It's only when, when you are willing to admit that you're unable to help yourself. Well, then we qualify for salvation through the God who became flesh in the womb of Mary. 
Another commentator I read this week, Benjamin Glad, says this. He says, this is because salvation must come in a way that only God can accomplish. So we will know God has done it and so that he might get all the glory. It's done in a way that only God can accomplish. So we will know God has done it and he might get all the glory. Salvation is a miracle. It's not something we can do for ourselves. It's a miracle of God that we would receive his mercy, that we would be forgiven our sin, and we would be included in his covenant people. Well, I think then Zacharias' prophecy shows us where does salvation take us? Where does this end up for us? You can see it, verses 68 to 79. Like Elizabeth, Zacharias is filled with the Holy Spirit. And like Mary, his speech is dripping with the Old Testament. You see what that means for us? The Holy Spirit presents this one unified message through the Old Testament into the New so that all of Scripture is God-breathed and it confirms itself. Zacharias speaks clearly and confidently about the peace God's people will have because of the child born to Mary. There's a wonderful promise in the Old Testament. It's found in Micah chapter four and verse four. It says this. It says, everyone shall sit under his vine tree and under his fig tree and no one shall make them afraid. Does not sound wonderful? Just sitting under the fig tree, enjoying the shade your own fig tree, and nobody can make you afraid. That is the peace that Zacharias prophesies, a peace where every person will enjoy the shade and not feeling any fear. And it's because of a miracle, the miracle of salvation through Jesus, It's because of that miracle that we can look forward to a day when we will be saved from the hand of our enemies and we will live in peace without any need for fear. That is the salvation which comes to God's people through Jesus. But it's not only physical salvation and safety. This is spiritual. The forgiveness of sins entering into the great covenant promises that God made to Abraham. Zacharias says the boy born to him and Elizabeth will be the one who goes before the Lord, preparing the way. And I want you to look at verse 77. You see what it says? John will preach a message of the knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. In other words, salvation through Jesus is having our sins forgiven. Salvation leads to the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that we can be justified in righteousness, that through Jesus we can come into a covenant and be God's own people, enjoying the peace that comes from God's presence. Having our sins forgiven being made right with God, it's a miracle, a miracle of salvation. So friends, 
no matter what else happens this Christmas, can I encourage you to remember that miracles really do happen. We believe that the God of creation was incarnate in the womb of a virgin. And we believe that in him we can be saved. We can have peace with God through the baby born to Mary. This is a miraculous birth. Let me pray for us.